And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Hello and welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. I'm Gavin, I'm here tonight with Justin. How are you doing, Jazz? Hey, Gav. Hello, mate. Uh, Pascal can't be with us tonight. He's in the Everglades hunting pythons with his bare hands. He's trying to break his own record that he set last year of 117 pythons in two days. Uh, I've got no idea what he did with the 412 pairs of boots, 345 belts and 159 suitcases that he made out of them. Um, anyway, so another game, another win, Jazz. Uh, fantastic three points at a tough place to go. Uh, the starting lineup, let's let's start there like we always do. Arte still at right back, Havertz in midfield, Eddie starting up front. I mean, none of us called it. No, I don't think so. Um, I was really surprised to see a few of those. Um, I didn't think we'd see party at right back again, to be honest. Um, Eddie was even surprised with how how good Trossard was in in preseason. Um, you know, I, I I get it, and I think a lot of it has to do with the absence of Zinchenko. But um, you know, a, a bit of a surprise for sure. Your thoughts? Well, I think some of it has to do with just wanting to get Partey and Rice in the same team while not dropping Havertz. I mean, Odegaard is obviously central to everything we do. So Odegaard's going to always play. And I just think I just think it's his way of being able to do that. I was a little bit disappointed to see Gabriel on the bench again. I thought last night was a, a perfect game for, for Gabriel. Well, maybe we should start there then, though, Gav. What do you think? Like, what, yeah. what's the deal? I mean, I, I do think it's tactical. I do think it's tactical. Um, I know I've heard a lot of people say it, it can't be tactical. There's got to be more to it. And I know there's, you know, there is interest in Gabriel from from what I understand, not just from Saudi Arabia, but from Real Madrid and Juventus as well. Because uh, apparently with Militao going down, they were looking for another centre-back. But honestly, I, I do think it's tactical. I think this is about getting Partey, Rice and Havertz on the same pitch at the same time. And the only other way I could think of that he was going to do it is to play Havertz up top, but that clearly isn't his plan. I mean, it makes the, you know, the unfortunate timber signing make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Because you know we'd have been able to use him on the left or the right, and it'd be analogous to what we're doing right now. But now timbers went down, and party is kind of the only option we have to do a Zinchenko-like role in the back line, right? It's this is going to be interesting when Jesus gets back as well because yeah, I, I think Havertz is. We said this in preseason, right? That that Havertz needs Jesus up there. I think a lot of what Havertz is doing is kind of wasted a little bit because it's not Havertz. Havertz almost plays up front half the time, and I don't think Eddie is used to being big man, little man partnership kind of thing. He's played up front on his own the whole time, basically. I think Jesus is a lot more. He's more of a link player than than Eddie is, and I think I think. Havertz is really going to benefit from that a lot when he comes back. The party at right back thing, I don't mind it. And I understand why he moves Ben White inside um, alongside Saliba. 
because first off, Ben White is obviously a little bit better on the ball than Gabriel, although I think Gabriel was very underrated on the ball. Um, but it also they also do that thing that we didn't see a lot of last night, but we did against Forrest that I really like when Partey actually stepped inside to almost a, the third centre-back and Ben White went on the outside and overlapped. And I thought that was some of our best football against Forrest when we did that. We didn't see a lot of it last night. But I do wonder, I'd said to you that I had a feeling that Gabriel might come in at left back. And I would really have liked to have seen that last night. If he was going to go with this system, I would have preferred to see Gabriel out there other than Tommy Asu in that left back spot. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I do think there was something very clever about having Ben White come outside and overlap um, that I, I, I appreciated. And I think it, it it's going to keep opposition on their toes for sure. Uh, Gabriel at left back. I don't know a hundred percent how I feel about that. I but mean, he didn't. Think... But but Tommy Asu didn't play like a marauding left back. Tommy Asu no, played he, like yeah. a third centre back. Um, yeah. I mean, and I don't want to bring this name up because I don't want to open up the the can of worms again. But it's sort of the role that Tierney was playing for a while. That third centre back on the left hand side, and I think Gabriel would be a lot more capable of doing that than Tommy Asu. Not that Tommy Asu is a problem because Tommy Asu is a good player but I would have preferred to have seen Gabriel there. I feel like there's, there's something, um, yeah, not, uh, I'm struggling to find the right word, but I feel like with Tomiyasu and Trossard, you have two players that are um, really never going to be starters, but they're going to be plug and play depending on where you need them. Yeah. And you need um, a couple of players like that. I think it's yeah. good that we've got players like that. Cause we've not had that for Ever, really? Oh, no, no, no. I agree 100%. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I just, I've heard a lot of uh, discourse, especially with regards to Trossard about, uh, you know, he deserves to start. But I, I think his role here is perfect. And in Tomiyasu's, to get back to the subject, is 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 really good there, I think. He's he's plug and play anywhere on the back line. And uh, he, you know, he does a fine job. And, and the fact that he can be a fullback but invert is, is you know, great especially with Timber's injury. Yeah, so to the game then. So it started and we started really, really fast. Um, Kai Havertz did brilliantly. It was a little Eddie knockdown that kind of got half intercepted. Havertz kind of wins it back, shifts the ball, moves it over to Martinelli. We're less than two minutes into the game. And I actually thought Martinelli could have hit that first time rather than trying to cut back inside. And by the time he cut back inside, it let the defender get across and he hit the defender. But what a start that could have been. Yeah, this, uh, you know, Gabby is a pro player and knows better than I do, but this actually almost drove me crazy watching it because I really feel like if he'd have hit it first time, I mean, he would have been golden. But watching him kind of flail in and out, it it was really frustrating. Um, well, I think that yeah, kind of set the tone for his night as well, right? Because it, yeah. I, I don't think Gabby, I don't think Martinelli had the best night overall. No, and it felt a lot more decision-wise than it did, like technically or or anything like that. His decisions just seemed a bit, you know, a bit off. Yeah, it wasn't his usual game for sure. Um, and then we had three Eddie moments from the twenty-fifth minute to the. Half an hour. It started with a brilliant dribble over on the left-hand side of the box that was almost Jesus-like, where he took on two players, slalomed into the box, and he went down. Also very Jesus-like, um, and it was, you know, it was obviously never a penalty. 
Then we had the one where Saka kind of cuts in and he, he he slips it through and Eddie does a magnificent turn. It's absolutely brilliant, that turn. It's reminiscent of the goal against West Ham, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he hits the post. And I'm not sure he could have done any better than that. And then we get to the miss. Um, Rice, fantastic little ball through. And Eddie just tried to lift it over the goalkeeper who was coming out and he, he lifted it over the bar. And that one, that really should have been the goal. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I remember uh, discussing this with you and pause on, on WhatsApp and I, I, I was pretty harsh on Eddie um, throughout the game, but after watching the highlights, I think he actually did quite well and was pretty unlucky with some of these chances. And I, 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 I want to apologize because I, I think he was better than I thought he was uh, in the moment. I thought Eddie had an absolutely superb game. I've got to say, I mean, I, I, we'll come on to Declan Rice a bit later on, but I thought Declan Rice was absolutely sensational. But had yeah. it not been for Declan Rice, I think Nketiah was right up there with with Saliba as our as our best player on the night. I, I really did think Nketiah was fantastic for the time he was on. But this is the problem, right? Eddie has to score more than anyone. If Eddie doesn't score, people are going to say Eddie had a bad game. And Eddie didn't have a bad game. The ball just didn't go in. Yeah, it's it's always going to be the frustration, especially with a, um, y- you know, your kind of plan B striker. I feel like um, people give Jesus a lot of leeway with his finishing. You know, oh, he's just, you know, he he's great in 99% of aspects for a forward, but he's not a great finisher. But people don't give that leeway to Jesus, in, in myself included, to be fair. I mean, to Eddie, you mean? Yeah, for Eddie, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, people don't give that leeway to Eddie. And, and uh, you know, it, he does do a lot of good stuff off the ball, I think. Yeah, he, he does. And I, like I said, he did a lot of it yesterday. A lot of the spinning in behind, a lot of his movement was was absolutely fantastic. It, it really was. And, you know, we'll come on to the goal in a minute. Um, and that, that all came from that. But before that, in the first half, we had uh, a little bit of play where Saliba actually made a mistake. And then the recovery to get back and the tackle. That's why he's probably the best defender in the Premier League right now. And he's probably a year away from being the best defender in the world. Mate, that that the little clap from IU after he was down, he didn't even appeal. He didn't ask for a foul. He knew no, that. No, and IU was a flawless. pain in the ass all night. He was. And yeah. and he I mean, he's always a pain for us, but I mean he was diving all over the place and everything, and he didn't even appeal for that one. It's really interesting because I feel like when I watch, if I ever watch Crystal Palace, you know, just playing anybody else, I'm always like, IU is shit. I can't believe it's, still- it's like Mikel Antonio at West Ham. He is awful yeah. against everyone and then beasts us. Yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, it's crazy. But he was he was pretty brilliant on the night, to be honest. Uh, so, so I mean, to be honest, though, they, and again, we'll, we'll go for the second half. They really didn't have much. All night, they like didn't. they, they really didn't have, they really didn't have much at all. Watching it back, I watched it back this afternoon. A um, little bit of uh, behind the curtain stuff here, but I've actually got COVID at the minute, so I've been feeling pretty shit all day. So I, um, I actually this afternoon watched the whole game again, and it was a very different watch the second time around than it was the first time around, because obviously in the moment you've got the nerves and that. But when I looked at it back, they really, they really didn't do anything in that first half. The only thing they did, and it was a taste of things to come. Um, just before half time, Eze went running into the box and just threw himself to the floor. Um, it was obviously never a penalty and it just got waved away. But that really was it in that first half. Other than that, they had absolutely 
absolutely nothing. And we were completely in control. We should have been in front. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I'm I'm noticing, I mean, it's only two games, so you don't want to glean too much from it. But um, it does kind of feel, I mean, to you, what do you think? Is it a game where we've kind of controlled two first halves and then maybe, uh, th- this was obviously very different from the last one, but I did feel like we weren't quite as much in control in the second half? So I think when you watch it the second time around, it looks like a different game, right? Because we did control that second half. We just controlled it in a different way. Until the sending off, we had seventy over 70% of the possession, right? We wow. had all of the ball until the sending off. After the sending off, and I didn't particularly like the way we handled it, especially in the moment, we basically just sat back. But all they did was play in front of our back line. That's all they did. We were still in control. We were just in control without the ball. Um, and then the late sub of uh, Jorginho, who was absolutely fantastic. And I, I give Jorginho a lot of stick and he's not my favourite player, but I thought he was absolutely magnificent when he came on. And then obviously Zinchenko came on really late. But those two on the pitch, I think if he'd have made those subs sooner and again, we're on to Arteta's subs again. But I think had he brought Zinchenko and Jorginho on sooner, I think it would have been even more comfortable. But I, I really think it was a it was a controlled performance throughout the game, even in that second half when we let them have the ball from the twentieth to like the eighty eighty seventh minute. And you know, I'm, it's interesting. You know, obviously we're not going to be able to see it like full fledged, but it seems like the entire transfer strategy for Arteta has is is basically about control. Yes. You know, if you think if you think we have you know Timber Zinchenko. Rice, Saliba, Odegaard, and Jesus on the pitch, we are going to have 80% possession in every game. And the interesting thing, and this is actually something um, my boy Elliot pointed out to me, Arteta takes our pace off late in the game. And it can get Mm -hmm. really, really frustrating because you're thinking, Jesus Christ, why is Martinelli (laughs) off the pitch at this point? But the reason he does it is because he brings him on to bring on security on the ball and to really control the game. So I can see, I, I'm not sure I like it, but I, I see why he does it. And you're right. It is about control. And I think a lot of this stretches back to those two games at West Ham and Liverpool last season, where I think he, I think he's looked back at last season and gone, right. We're not doing that again. We're going to shut shit down. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I almost feel like this dates, back to before that for Arteta, but I can definitely see those two games being, uh, you know, a major, uh, like driving the nail home, you know what I mean, for the strategy. Um, But I do find it really fascinating. I mean, we just like shut shit down, like uh, immediately. And I I was kind of curious about your opinion, though. I mean, as a fan, I think we all, um, you know, would prefer the team to go for the throat. What do you think? We about want to this? win eight nil every game, don't we? Let's yeah, of be fair. Yeah. That's what we want. We all want to win eight nil. I'm not a huge fan of this trying to shut games down, especially when I don't think it's necessary. And I don't think either of these last two. I think it was less of it against Forest. I don't think we did this against Forest. I think we just basically took our foot off the gas. Um, I think this was very different. I think this was intentionally trying to just slow the game down and control it. Um, so I do think that it's two slightly different circumstances, but obviously as a fan, you're never going to be a fan of it. It's not what we want. I mean, we hate watching Manchester City, right? I don't even watch Manchester City games because they're dull. Yeah. That is, seems kind of what we're going for. It does. Yeah, it it, it does a bit. Um, I think 
we do feel less robotic, at least in the final third, than City does. Um, and I don't know if it's just like personnel or if it is manager strategy or not, but um, I'd really prefer us not to be a, a little Manchester City. Do you know what I mean? Because um, it yeah, is. I, I like and... the bit of individual stuff, and and I think we've, you know, we've we've with Martinelli and, and Saka, we've we've and you know we're still going to have that, and Erdegaard obviously brings in them moments of magic, and I think we're still gonna we're still gonna be that little bit more inventive. And, and and you've got to remember as well that we're still bedding into whatever it is we're trying to do this season. So we may not have seen everything yet. We've had a couple of injuries that we've got to, we've got to cope with. And, and you know, in, in Jesus, a really big injury. That's a player that would start every game. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how we grow into it. But the second half, we started quite slowly and immediately Palace had a chance. There was a lovely little, little flick around the corner from Schlupp to... Um, Tyrick Mitchell, who'd actually had a pretty good game, um, and he just fired yeah. across in to to nowhere. Um, so it was it was a little bit of a worrying start, but we kind of got back on top really quickly after that. So I missed um, a, a decent bit of the second half live, um, and I I wasn't able to do a rewatch today, but I. I followed up a couple different highlight reels uh multiple times so i'm i'm not going to be i i wish Paz was here for this because i'm 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 not going to be as knowledgeable as the uh of the second half for the full game but um from from what it looked like you know we were still major majorly in control yeah and then and then we get to a little kind of mad 10 10 15 minute spell it started with Ayu, who was already on a booking, clinging on to Saka, almost hanging on his back as Saka was trying to get away and pulled him down. And the ref didn't get a second yellow. And my WhatsApp was lighting up with everybody. How's that not a second yellow? Didn't get it. Well, from the free kick, Martinelli, incredibly quick thinking. And that was planned, by the way. I don't know if you saw part A pointing at where where to go and Martinelli standing with his hands on his hips, um, basically faking like he wasn't ready to take it while Eddie starts that move. So that was completely planned. Martinelli plays that ball through. Eddie's on his toes, knocks it past the keeper. Down he goes, penalty. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, great play all around there, honestly. Um, and this is where I say, you know, Eddie is, uh, even though even I give him, you know, a hard time. I mean, he he does a lot of really good stuff in games, right? I mean, he does, and that was a, that was a brilliant bit of play from him and from Martinelli. In fact, Martinelli overhits it. That's why it ends up in a penalty. Because if he'd have if he'd have hit it, if he'd have hit it a little bit softer, Eddie would have been able to turn and shoot on his right foot. But because he overhits it, Eddie has to do that. I do want to bring this up though. It is a penalty, obviously. If it was up to me, that would never be a penalty. Never in a million years. I detest it when strikers hammer the ball out of play and then fall over a goalkeeper. To me, that is not a penalty. I know it is, and I know it's going to be given 10 times out of 10. But I will have to be fair on this because I do it when it gets given against us. I hate these penalties, and I don't think they should be penalties. Yeah, I kind of have to agree. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm really glad we got the penalty, but when the striker sees a, a defender or goalkeeper coming right out to him and just knocks the ball behind, they're not in control of the ball. Um, you know what I mean? He He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew he had no chance of getting there. I'm, again, I'm super glad we got it. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I, I don't like these either. No, it, it's what Harry Kane and Son do all the time. 
And, yeah. you know, and you've got to be fair. I hate it when they do it. So I've got to say it when we do it. I, I detest these type of penalties. And I, I think the game would be better off if they said, look, if a, if a forward whacks a ball out of play like this, we're not given a penalty. I mean, even if you want to give an indirect free kick, which seems to have just gone out of the game completely now, the indirect free yes. kick. Yep. But if you, you know, if you want to do that, I would be more okay with it than this because a goalkeeper sliding out eight yards wide of goal at a striker who's out of control of the ball and knocked it out of play and to be given a 0.77 chance of scoring a goal from that, that don't seem right to me. Yeah, what what is the keeper supposed to do? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I I think these penalties are are ridiculous. But anyway, it was given. Yeah. Um, and then a little bit of interesting gamesmanship. Saka goes and grabs the ball, stands by the penalty spot while all the pushing and shoving goes on. Players all get around him. As soon as the box clears, he throws the ball to Odegaard. I wasn't surprised at this. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen, although I thought it, there was an ch- outside chance it might be Havertz. Um, were you surprised? Not really. I think we've discussed before. I think, you know, we all said we would basically, you know, be happy if Odegaard started taking them. I like the gamesmanship that we saw. I think it shows, uh, you know, kind of some maturity and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I I thought Odegaard's penalty was brilliant. I think that he was obviously feeling more confident than Saka was uh, in, in the moment. Uh, well, I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is on it. So, yeah, I was going to bring this up. I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to bring this up now. So Arteta's quote is, he was asked about Erdegaard taking a penalty, and he said, I have no clue. It's about the leadership of the players, and if they felt it was the right thing to do, for me, I'm fine. They have to make those decisions on the pitch. I was surprised like everybody else, but he scored the goal and won the game, which is the most important thing. I'm calling absolute bullshit. There is no way on earth that Mikel Arteta, being who he is, sends a team out there not knowing who's taking a penalty when it comes to it. Yeah, I think I'm feeling the same way, Gav. Um... And I think there's, there's, there's something in this, right? By doing that, that means that next time Saka goes and grabs the ball, when we if we get awarded a penalty, before he throws it to Erdegaard, People don't know what he's going to do because Erde- because Arteta has said, well, Erdegaard's not really the penalty taker. The penalty taker is whoever feels good at the time. So they don't know who to go and harass and harangue. So I think that's a big part of this. It's gamesmanship. But there is absolutely no way that Mikel Arteta did not know who was taking that penalty. They've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks in training. They've been hitting penalties in training. This was decided way before they went out on the pitch. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But now the the question remains... Is Saka still the main penalty taker, you think? No, no chance. <laughs> no chance. No. Okay. Erdegaard's going to be the penalty taker until he misses one. He, he yeah. will. The, the he only should. other he thing should. that makes sense is I heard someone say, well, we're going to be in the Champions League, you know, X amount of Champions League games in the group stages go to penalties. Are they pushing it around to try and see who, you know, try and give people pressure penalties to see what, you know, to see who can take them under pressure? Yeah, I mean, it may be. I, I mean, I actually, uh, I really appreciated the skill in the, oh, uh, skill. I mean, uh, you know, what, what he did, Odegaard, I mean, Odegaard's penalty looked just effortless. And I, I'm normally not a big fan of the, you know, the, the kind of uh, stutter step hop right for the penalty. But, man, he just looked so class doing it. Maybe maybe it's just bias when I watch, you know, Bruno Fernandez do it versus Odegaard. But, um, but yeah, really good penalty. And I... I I mean, could it have been tucked into the side anymore? 
you know, I don't think so, man. He no, it, it was a perfect penalty. There's absolutely, yeah. and, and, you know, and all these penalties have, have been like that in preseason. He's taken a few in preseason that have all been like that. Havertz one was absolutely fabulous in the Emirates Cup, which is why I thought maybe Havertz, because he's got a good record from a from a penalty spot. But that's that's it. So no, I, I don't quite honestly, I don't think Zachary's second or third choice on the list now. I think it will go Odegaard. Havertz and you know we've said all along if Jorginho's on the pitch Jorginho is probably the one that takes it but he slots yeah. in there somewhere so I would imagine Saka is, is at best fourth in line I think he takes one if we go to a penalty shootout um yeah but I, but I think he's I think he's probably fourth in line for the job now even Martinelli may be ahead of Saka uh he didn't miss right no and Martinelli? he was you know no no he Fabio was the prime. missed the one against United didn't he but yeah, Martinelli was originally. We spoke about this a couple of years ago when we got that penalty at Stamford Bridge. Martinelli was the man who was supposed to take it, and Saka yep. said, uh-uh, "Give me the ball." Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe even he will be ahead, but I I don't know. I mean, I think there's a a big amount of confidence that comes with it. You know, like if a player steps up and is like, "I, I want this. I'm going to score." You know, I I think. I think there there is going to be some diversion to that, but um, at the same time, I think it's it's necessary to have a set taker, and I think it's going to be Martin for at least a little while. There's also squad status to consider here, right? Yeah, like we're talking two years ago. Saka taking the ball off a 20 year old Martinelli is not the same thing as this Martin Erdegaard. This Martin Erdegaard, if he's the one taking it, he's the one taking it. You're not taking the ball off him like you would off a 20 year old Martinelli. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, Capitano, right? Um, but I, I actually, I love that he he he's willing to step up. I mean, <clears throat> I know there was some controversy over, you know, who was going to be captain and stuff like that. But I think Martin stepping up, taking the armband, and, and he's just been a, a terrific leader, I think. And, oh, uh, mate, he was the natural choice. He was the only choice. He was every choice. There's To, to me, I didn't doubt it at the time. And in hindsight, it's a hundred percent the right call. There's there's no one else. There's no one. Well, now we've got obviously Declan Rice, but up until then, there's no one else in this squad that I would rather see the armband on. Now I think we've got a few that could wear it. I yeah. think Gabriel. I'm not sure about Saliba just yet. Um, I think Saka would be more capable of it. So I think there's a few that you, Jesus is another one. I think it's harder now. Could. It's harder now than it was. You yeah, know. but but yeah. I think Erdegaard is this team's is this team's leader, especially with Xhaka gone. Erdegaard is the leader of this team. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I've just I saw a lot of opinions online, you know, about e- even people like Ben White, Ramsdale, uh, Gabriel. You know, Odegaard was the right and natural choice, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I, I agree. So between Ayu not getting a second yellow for pulling down Saka, then you get the penalty and we had a little review for was there a block by party, wasn't there? I think the ref lost it a little bit during this period. And immediately we began to sat back, sit back as soon as we scored, which was kind of annoying. There was a little huddle and I think it was actually a, a plan to sit back, not give anything away. Um, and immediately, Eze won a free kick on the edge of our box that was never a foul. Eze, I know you and Pass like Eze, but, mate, he is annoying. I mean, he was on the floor all night diving. I mean, he must have done four dives in that game. Um, go on. No, I, I was just I, – I do like the player a lot, but I, I was frustrated with him. 
It, yeah, it was, yeah, he was so yeah. annoying last night. Yeah. But anyway, so he goes down and, you know, and he blasts the ball over the top, whatever. Um, and then we get to the Tommy Asu first booking. Now, mm-hmm. I may be the only Arsenal fan in the world that doesn't really have a problem with this. Um, we were wasting time. We'd already been warned about wasting time a couple of minutes before we got a goal kick. Thomas Partey went and got the ball, walked to between the, the touchline and the and the penalty area, dropped the ball and walked off. So Ramsdale had to come out and get it. The ref came over and he said to Partey and Ramsdale, no more. It was clear. No mass. Couldn't be clearer if he was Roberto Durant calling his way out of a fight. It was clear. No more. We then get a throw on down the left. Now, my problem here is this. Kai Havertz had no need to go over and pick that ball up. If Kai Havertz leaves that ball away, Tommy Asu walks slowly over to it, picks up the ball, takes eight to ten seconds to throw it in. There's not a problem. The problem was that Kai Havertz picked up that ball, held it for 15 seconds, and then threw it to Tommy Asu when Tommy Asu walked up. That's where the problem was right there. So... I know that Tommy Asu isn't the one that deserved it because it was Havertz that was that was wasting the time, but it's just a case of you're the man holding the bag, and I just don't have an issue with it. I, I mean, I do have a little bit of an issue in that. I mean, you probably won't notice because this is very geeky, but I read it today. Palace had two throw-ins in the first half that took 26 seconds. That I actually, you know this, yeah. You do that. Yeah, but go ahead. Took 23. Palace had two more that took 22 seconds. And apparently somewhere in there, we had a throw-in that took 40 seconds. So why he chose this one? Well, I know it's because we'd just gone 1-0 up. And like I said, he was losing the plot a little bit. But I don't actually have a problem with Tommy Asu being booked for this. I I don't like time-wasting. Like, um, I understand sometimes it's it's part of the strategy. But I think at the end of the day, I mean... Excuse me. At the end of the day, the game is 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 entertainment for the viewers, right? Um, and I, I know there's you know close neighborhood connections and in all that kind of stuff, but I just mean at the end of the day, it's it's a it's an entertainment sport. Um, I don't really like to see time wasting. It it kind of grades on me. I don't blame Tomiyasu for this though. I think he was just kind of like you said, he was kind of the man holding the bag at the end. Um, I don't think he was super at fault or anything. I was kind of wondering what was up with Havertz and if this was a whole kind of team coordinated thing. It was. It was. 100% yeah. it was. We we earned that booking. Tommy Asu yeah. might not have earned it, but we earned that booking. Between what party did before, between Ramsdale being slow, putting the ball down for the goal kick, and then between what Havertz did, that was a team booking and we earned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it does really feel that way. And now this was Tomiyasu's first, right? Uh, just yeah, cause... that was the that was the first one. So that was basically on the hour. Okay, like then I said, had... I, I just caught highlights, so I I just simply yeah. Tried to create... And yeah. then we had a we had a little chance after that where Havertz hit a half volley and he tried to cut across it and he just didn't get across the ball enough and it went wide. And I think if that's one of them that whips into that far corner. This game looks a lot different for Kai Havertz than than it does. I, I watching it again, Kai Havertz actually had another okay game. The same, really, it was very similar to his game against Forest, where he gave us a lot. But it's a lot that you don't really realise as the game's happening. But I think had this gone in, or had Martinelli scored that early chance and he'd have had an assist, you're looking at it differently. Yeah, definitely. Um... After reviewing it a few times, I think um, it's obvious Havertz is really, really good off the ball, I think. But well, his he, on- he wins everything, right? I think he won he does. Yeah, he- out of eight aerial duels and he won two out of two 
on the floor. You saw the pressure he put on. You saw the way, again, we trap. We trap rather than press a lot of the time. Yeah. And he's brilliant at forcing forcing people into lanes that we want him to go to. Yeah, he really is. So, I mean, I think his off-the-ball work is brilliant. And I think even sometimes we don't even get to see it, uh, you know, just, just camera trailing. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you would see, if you were sitting in the upper tier of a stadium, yeah. you would see a lot more from him than you do on TV. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's kind of where I'm coming from too. But uh, you know, as much as I'm uh, hyped about him for that, I do wish we would see a little more on the ball. But that being said, I don't think he's been bad or anything. You know, he he, I really appreciate his off the ball work and just wish he did a. You know, he's had a little more, little more on the ball. But I agree with you 100. percent If he tucks that into the corner, it's a different game for Havertz, and he may even be man of the match. You know. And hopefully that'll hopefully that'll come. And then we yeah. come on to the sending off. Now, Gav, can I can I ask you, was he up top at that point, or because like no, I said, I... no, he was still at left eight, and and okay. Eddie was Eddie was up top. So the sending off comes. The sending off comes just before the seventieth minute, and it's basically a ball's cleared over the top. Tommy Tommy Asu is running with Ayu. There's no foul. Like there is literally no foul. There is barely any contact between the two. Ayu goes down, holds his arms out to the ref. The ref cannot wait to get the yellow card out. And of course, because it's two yellows, it can't be reviewed by VAR. Yep. We can't appeal it. So there's no way that we're getting out of this. He's going to get sus- game suspended. There's not really a lot to say about this other than it's just an absolutely ludicrous decision, especially because it came five minutes after he, ref- well, actually 15 minutes after he refused to send Ayu off for a much, much worse and more flagrant foul on Saka. This seemed like a, a, a very um, emotional decision from Coots. I think... Um, the crowd the crowd played into the it. Crowd, the, the crowd, crowd there definitely do play, did, yep. play into it. And he just, like I said, I think he had a little spell between when he didn't send Ayu off through until this sending off. I think he had a little spell where he just lost himself. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think he was trying to uh, overcorrect. I think he was, he, he seemed to be kind of more pissed at, at Arsenal at this point as well. Well, um, we have to be careful of this though, Jazz, as well, because I think the time wasting, and we do it a lot, right? I, I'm not going to yep. sit there and bitch at other teams because we yep. do it a lot. We have to be careful about this because we are going to turn refs against us with yep. a lot of the stuff that we're doing. We did it last year. We turned refs against us a couple of times last year with the time wasting that we were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, I do think this is one of the harshest, like double yellow sendings off, sending off. Yeah, harshest since Martin Elliott Wolves, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah. That this wasn't as bad as that, but I mean, factoring in the two yellows, I think this is, I think this is worse because you could argue the Martin Elliott Wolves one. You could maybe, I mean, I don't think it was, but you could maybe argue that both of those could be a yellow on their own. This second one wasn't even a foul, let alone a yellow. Yeah, I mean, in uh, uh, I don't know. It, it feels more egregious. The, the Martinelli ones feel a little it's more because egregious. you don't see it, right? Two yellow cards given for one passage of play, you don't see it. That's why. Yeah. But yeah. So the sending off comes, and we immediately just retreat into our shell. And I didn't like what we did, but like I said, when I looked it back, we were actually in control. They only had two little minor chances after that. We had the Eze dive, that he should have been booked for, um, and he wasn't. And then we had the late one from 
the late one from Edward when he couldn't get his head on the cross because it was a bit behind him. And that is all they had. Like, they did not have another chance. We controlled this game completely. Yeah, I mean, the highlights made it look a lot more safe for us than I remember being, you know, watching it. up. up What's the emotion at the moment, right? You see Palace had all the ball for, for 20 minutes between the sending off and Zinchenko coming onto the pitch. Those 20 minutes between like 68 and 68 and 88 minutes, whatever it was, those 20 minutes Palace had, I, I think they had 80% of the ball during those during that little spell. So mm-hmm. it feels a lot more like you're on the edge of your seat. But when you watch it back, it, it really wasn't an issue. Yeah, I mean, and it really does just come down to emotion. Like, doesn't it? I mean, like, it, it's all about... If if you go back and watch a game knowing the score, you're going to feel way more secure in it. But I, I have no doubt that it probably was a lot more secure, you know, uh, the, the second time through. It's just, you know, we're all fans. We're all stressed, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, exa- it's exactly what it is. You can't help, you can't help but be like that in the moment. And I think, yeah. I think sometimes that's what I've learned through doing this is that, you know, I never used to watch games back. I'd watch the highlights again and again, but I rarely watch the whole game back. Now I try to watch the whole game back if I can before we do these pods, but to get a clearer mind. And I've just realized that games look completely different the second time around. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I've watched quite a few games back uh, again since we started doing this pod. And I agree, you look at it a totally different way than when it was happening. I think there's just security in knowing the score. Um but I mean, just visually, you can even, you know, parse more things about, you know, some plays, some players, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it's it's really great. If anybody's not watched a game back, um, I, I definitely suggest, you know, picking one and, and giving it a shot and, and trying to, um, you know, follow like a strategy or a player or something like that and, and, and seeing what, what you, how your opinion changes after it. Yeah, it definitely. Really it will definitely change your perspective, a hundred percent. No doubt yep. about it. Okay, mate. All right. Well, that's the um, that's the that's kind of the meat and potatoes of the of the game done. We'll come back in the second half. I want to get into a little bit about Declan Rice and what he's yep. brought to us, and and also a little bit more about Arteta's subs and and that sort of stuff. So, um, we'll see you guys after the break, Juz. I will see you back here in a few minutes. Sounds good. Hey guys, just a couple of quick halftime messages for you. Firstly, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us reach a wider audience, particularly on Apple Podcasts. Secondly, we're on all the social media platforms as The NN Pod. We're really trying to build a strong Guna community. So next time you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, look us up, give us a like or a follow, send us a message, interact with other listeners, or, or just have a look around. Thanks for listening from myself, Paz and Juz. We really appreciate it. Welcome back to the Non-Negotiables podcast. This is part two. Juz, where I want to start with this um, is a £105 million steal. You don't hear that very often, but we absolutely robbed West Ham. Declan Rice was sensational yesterday. And again, I think we are, we're still nowhere near what he's capable of. You can already see him developing in front of your eyes. How impressed were you with him yesterday? 
Mate, I was uh, massively impressed. Uh, I think this was kind of his like breakout game. Um, I thought he was just a, a physical monster. Some of his passes were ridiculous. Um, I know there were people that had doubts. Not many, but people that had doubts about him replacing Party in the six and expected him left eight. But um, I think he just showed like that that additional ounce of class. At why he he is so good, and you know we we touched about it on this pod about how this is one transfer that you know it it wouldn't miss, right? It couldn't miss, and I I think he's just he's proving it already. I mean his 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 physical ability is is just so. Um, uh, He's a fucking monster. Like you that, feel that's it, all right? you can say. He's an absolute yeah. monster. And when he carries the ball, you can't get the ball off him. And he, nope. he carries the ball. He's comfortable on either side. It is insane how good he is at, at this sort of stuff. And I just, I think he's already starting to add bits to his game, right? I, I, I've said it time and time again. I think we're, we're at 25% of what he's capable of. And he's already starting to add some of that passing range that we really didn't see very much of at West Ham because he didn't have the players around him to be able to do it. But like the little flicked ball through to Eddie for the chance that he put over the bar. And there were a couple of other ones during the game where he broke the lines. And this is what he wasn't doing against Nottingham Forest. Remember I said to you, I thought he was playing safe. He wasn't playing safe last night. He he really, really looked like a superstar in the making Hey, he was he was like astounding to me, and I I, I um, I'm glad to see it. You know, I I actually was willing to give him a little time. You know, I thought it would I thought it would take him a little time to kind of bet into that six because it, it's a lot, right? I mean, well, I mean, it took him ninety minutes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he was he was brilliant last night, and I I think um, it gives us such a huge advantage having a player that's, I mean, he's technically sound. He's physically imposing. He's defensively. He's a two-way player, right? Like Partey. Partey is not a two-way player. He's a one-way player from deep. He comes. He's from deep and he plays forward. Rice is a two-way player. When we were under pressure at, at the end there, Rice was the one shielding in front of the back line, making sure they could only go from side to side. He's obviously six foot two, so he, he gives you that extra height as well. He doesn't stop running. I, I just think he gives us something completely different as that defensive midfielder, that screen. And and that's his position. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. And I, I think he's going to be brilliant in the six. I do think, you know, he's going to have um, maybe a little uh, up and down uh, as he fully adjusts because it is, um, it's a lot more responsibility than West Ham. I don't. I, I think nope. you are. No, I don't. I you think, think he's nailed forest, it. I think the Forest game is the lowest point he's going to have. I think no. it's all up from here. And I'm I'm telling you, the, the ceiling on him is unbelievable. And I think you're going to see him play a little bit like a 6-8 hybrid, a lot with the way he carries the ball. I, I think he's going to, I think he'll get 10 goals this season because just wow. he's going to get, he's going to get forward as well. I mean, he, he, he plays, he, he basically plays two roles in one. That was yep. the point, right? That was the point where we said to get Havertz, you need Rice. And this was the point. Rice plays two roles in one. So when Havertz goes to that centre-forward spot to win the ball in the air, Rice is covering not only the six, but also the eight. He does both jobs. I mean, really, three roles in one, because he can drop into that back line like nothing either as a CB. I'm telling you, and I've made this comparison a hundred times, to me, Declan Rice is Roy King. 
that is what he is. I, that is how I see him as Roy Keane. He can play centre back. He can play the six. He can play the eight. He's phenomenal at all of them. I, I think he's Roy Keane. Hey, man, I love what I, what I saw from him yesterday. Uh, I'll be really curious to see, not that I have any doubts, that, that's not what I mean, uh, but I'll be really curious to see how, um, you know, he does against United. Uh, I think just the the kind of step up in the counterattacking football that they're going to play will be really interesting to see how he plays against it. But I have no doubts he's going to just boss that game. I'm interested to see the weekend because I think he's going to be doing a lot more going forward. I think he's, you know, I said to you, I think he's going to score 10 goals. I think you might see the first of them at the weekend because he's going to be able to camp out on the edge of the box a lot more. We obviously, we don't know what the team's going to be yet, but I, I think he's going to be able to get a lot, he's going to do a lot more further forward than he, you know, the, and, and I mean, he was doing that a little bit yesterday and he was doing it a lot against Forest. But I think Saturday he's going to be, I think he's, he must be rubbing his hands, can't wait to play on Saturday. He's he's settled in so quickly as well. Like he's the one out in front of the media all the time. He loves it. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. He he's he seems to have adapted so quick. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this player. And of, of course, I mean he's a hundred and five million pounds signing, but um, you know, so many of those high transfer fee signings haven't worked out. But I mean, we've just got like a gem. You know, we've got our gem. Well, and anyone that thought that fee was high, and I think everybody probably thought it was a little bit high. I think Arsenal thought it was a little bit high. Arsenal win the February is, is, you know, it's well noted that they believed they could get him for 80 million. We've ended up going to 105. I said it, I said, what, six, eight months ago that I thought 100 million would be fair because you're looking at 10 years of a linchpin in your midfield. So I thought 100 million was, was fair. But anybody that doubted that, mate, like I said at the start of this, we absolutely stole him. We are lucky that Edu and Arteta are not under arrest for theft for coming away from there with him for that. It's absolutely crazy that after chasing him for two, three years, that Chelsea signed Enzo Fernandez for $120 million and let Declan Rice go for $105 million to Arsenal. Like, I'm shocked by that. It, it, well, that that club's a basket case, though, aren't they? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they don't know what they're doing. They're signing people left, right, and center. And that's actually this is actually a good point to bring this in. Just we will come back to some stuff from the Palace game, but but that's quite a good segue for this. So they're being linked with following Balogun at the minute, right? We're <laughs> yeah. hearing we're hearing like I, from what I read tonight, and I don't know how true this is, but Arsenal have told them seventy million, and they're saying closer to forty-five million, which I think would be a fair price. I'd have no worries about selling him to Chelsea. None at all. This is a, this is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I, I wouldn't really worry about selling him to Chelsea either. I just hope we like, yeah, you can, yeah, we're cursing right on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I, just hope, I mean, you're with me, so it's going to happen. I just hope we, you know, fucking rake them over the coals for him. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, what you'd really like is to have its money back, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that, that's, much, that's yeah. what you really want. You're not going to get a sell-on fee out of Chelsea, and that's fine. I ain't got no. a problem with that, as long as no. we get a decent amount up front. And and Balogun is, I mean, he is exactly what they've been signing over the last 18 months. I said it before, they're trying to basically skip Brighton out of the equation and buy these players before they before they go there. And they're spending all these money on players that might work out. And to be honest with you, if he goes there, I don't think he'll work out. 
Yeah, I don't either. It's a I number nine graveyard. Yeah, yeah. For in for for a Balogun, I think it'd be a, a poor career choice. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think he'd love it. I, I think that's where he wants to go. If the interest is real, I think that's where he's going to want to go. Really? Yeah, I do. Hundred percent. Hmm. He can stay in London. He's going to be yeah. paid massive amounts of money. He's probably going to get a ten-year contract, and <laughs> for you know, and he he'll be set for he'll be absolutely set for life. He get he doesn't have to move house. I I think this honestly, I actually think is probably the best move for him and for us. Not him career wise, but him financially wise, and for us financially wise, because no one's going to pay us the money that they'll pay us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, way better than League League Uh, no matter what League Uh. Yeah, you can't sell him to League uh, because you're not going to get you're not going to get the money. Like Monaco are not going to yeah, stump yeah. up the money, so I I think he might actually end up there, but let, I, let I me, wouldn't be bothered about it. Let me ask you this, Gaff. Um, just just curious. Uh, would you rather sell him to Chelsea for forty five million pounds or Monaco for forty five million euros? If there's that little in it, still in Monaco. But I, I think if Chelsea are in, I don't think Monaco is going to be an option, would be my honest opinion. I think if Chelsea are in for him, he's going to push to go to Chelsea and we are going to have to basically facilitate it. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Do you know how if he was... I mean, I'm sure he's probably close to Omar Hutchinson as well. I mean, I think... I would assume. Um, yeah, they're about the same age, right? Omar might yeah. actually be a little bit younger. Um, yeah. But it, like I said, we, you know, you've got to get used to the fact that you're going to sell between the Premier League, right? It, between the top clubs and Premier League. We've bought Havertz. But we're going to have to. bought Mason yep. Mount. This is where the money is. So this is yep. what you are. This is what you're going to get. So I think, I, like I said, I just wouldn't be, I just wouldn't be bothered about it at all. I, I don't want him to, funnily enough, I would, I would much prefer him to go to Chelsea than I would to go to Tottenham. And I actually, I actually think that, I think Tottenham are a better team than Chelsea for a start. Um, I don't think they're great, but I think they're better than Chelsea. And I, so I would just, I just don't, don't care if he goes to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I, I think I'd rather see him. And I, I think you know, I've got, um, you know, I'm, I'm an American, right? So obviously, I've got that, uh, you know, number one, number nine for the U.S. Uh, and I hope he does well career wise. Um, that that plays in the back of my head. I think I'd prefer him to go to somewhere like Monaco. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see the Chelsea sale happening. Um, and I think they're going to be the Premier League in general is going to be the only place we're going to get what we roughly expect for him. I think that's where I'm coming from on it as well. Um, so just to get back to how we've started the season, then, mate. Um, are you concerned? that we've had two performances where we haven't blown the opposition away. Uh, we've not been out of sight when we should have been. Or do you actually consider this a really promising start, considering we knew we weren't going to hit the ground right? Even we all said it in pre-season that we weren't looking fantastic. We're trying to bed in a new system with new players. And we've done that taking six points from six. Which way are you seeing this? Man, mate, this is actually a, a pretty tough question. I am uh, generally very optimistic. I am a little concerned, um, but these have been concerns I've had for uh, kind of Mikel's whole coaching stature. I don't like that we never go for the throat. I don't really like his safe 
controlling substitutions, but maybe that's just me, you know, but I, I, I'm a little concerned. I mean, I think Nottingham Forest and Crystal Palace are two pretty easy games. I know, I, I know historically we've got a thing with, with Crystal Palace, but um, they should have been easier than they were in an opportunity to rack up a little bit of goal differential. I know the red card changes things against Crystal Palace, but I got to be honest, I'm I'm a little concerned about it. Mate, your thoughts? I'm I'm a little frustrated. I would say by it. I mean, we should have had four against Palace before the sending off. Um, we should have been out of sight against Forest as well. So I find that frustrating. But I actually think this is a positive because we started last season on fire and then we dropped off towards the end. You don't want to be peaking in October and November, which is where we peaked last year, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. peaked pre-World Cup last year and you don't want to be doing that. So if we're winning, I was I was worried we were going to drop some silly points early um, and we still might. We're, we're definitely not home and dry, but I was worried we were going to drop some silly points early and be struggling to catch up from 12 points behind in December. That's what I was worried about. We've started with two wins out of two. We look like we are, we look like we're not firing on all cylinders, but we're still dominating games. So I actually think this is a positive thing because we're learning how to play and we're doing it without Jesus as well. So you've got to remember that we're also doing it without our, without our preeminent number nine. In Zinchenko who I think has was the most influential new player we signed last and, year. Yeah, and Zinchenko. And when Zinchenko came onto the pitch yesterday, and it was late. So let me just tell you the minutes of these substitutions, right? Go ahead. So his first substitution was Gabriel for Martinelli on 70 minutes, and that was a reaction to the red card, right? A bit yeah. like his early substitution last week was, a re- was obviously the timber injury because he had to come off, and then he didn't make another sub to 84 minutes last week, right? So this time, it's Gabriel for Martinelli on 70. Then he brings Jorginho on for Enketia on 79 minutes. That is late. He brings yeah. Kivior and Zinchenko on in the 89th minute. To me, that's still an issue. Like, I, I think those, the Zinchenko one especially, should have been made earlier because the difference that Zinchenko made as soon as he came onto the pitch was unbelievable. He came onto the pitch, combined immediately with Jorginho, and we straight away had two and a half minutes where we just kept the ball. And we hadn't had the ball for the previous 20 minutes. All we'd been doing is lumping it into space and it coming straight back. As soon as Jorginho and Zinchenko are on the pitch together, we started controlling that ball again. Yeah. Um, I... And, know, I... and, and let me just say this real quick. The substitutions that Arteta made were absolutely correct. They yeah. were the right substitutions. I just think he made them late. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you know, I mean, I, I almost hate to talk about this just because, like, I feel like we're beating a dead horse. But um, this is an issue, right, Gaff? I mean, these subs are are way too late. He... Well, and this is an issue, right? And this is this is where it gets a bit weird, right? Because we had the last... Arsene Wenger was so dynamic when he first joined. His first seven, eight years, his subs were phenomenal. You'd see at the hour mark, if we were chasing a game or needed a goal, we'd have six, seven forwards on the pitch. And all of a sudden, he reverted to this formulaic way where he made a substitution every game on 70 minutes. That would be the first sub. Regardless of what was happening in the game, that was what happened. We went from that to Emery 
who was like a fucking mad scientist. You yeah. had three half-time substitutions for team and shape. I remember a game, and I will find the clip, and I will post it on our social media, of someone coming on at half-time. I can't remember who it was. It might have been... Wassenach? No, it might have been it might have been Rob Holding. Someone oh. come on, and they turned around to one of the centre-halves and said, what formation are we playing? That is... And it was at half-time, so they just had the team talk. That is madness. So that was that year under Emery, right? It was completely mad. I don't know what he was. No one knew what he was doing from one minute to the next. No, nobody did. We go from this to Arteta, who just doesn't want to make any substitutions. He just doesn't. He gets forced into substitutions, and that's the only time he makes them, except for his standard crossard for Martinelli, which would have been the sub on 74 minutes had there not been a red card. Uh, yeah, I know. And, you know, look, I, I love Mikel. I love him from a player, uh, captain, uh, coach. Uh, this is a longstanding issue that I have with him. Um, I don't know exactly what he needs to happen to, you know, do a little better in this area. But, mate, I mean, after hearing last season that we made, like, you know, the least amount of changes, least amount of subs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, stats wise it's just like you'd think he would do a little bit better I mean you know why not why not Trossard for for Enkedia you know 60 you know what I mean I mean there's so many things I mean Smithrow and Vieira they still haven't appeared yeah. um, I mean yesterday you could write yesterday off because the sending off was basically just off, before yeah. 70 minutes and it, it, it changed the game and we were in complete control until then point there was no real need to make changes stuff so, so, so yesterday last night I'm, I'm ready to throw that one out the window like it whatever but yeah whatever but there's but we've got two three years of previous at this point of, yep. of watching it to say that even if there hadn't been a sending off yesterday probably wouldn't have been much different yeah and you know i'm i'm, I'm watching these squads you know, his full Arsenal squads change before my eyes. And you go from, you know, guys like Pablo Marie, Socrates, Kolasinac into, you know, damn good players. And I'm still not seeing the change I expect to see. You know, I gave him a lot of credit in the beginning because the squad was was pretty shit, right? Let's be honest. I mean, we didn't Oh, it have... was abhorrent. When you when yeah. you look back, that squad, that the squad that he inherited was terrible. Yep, I mean, we were eighth because we were an eighth place team with an eighth yep. place squad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 100%. But now I feel like we've got a lot of really, really good players, players that can make a big impact off the bench. We've seen Trossard and Smith Rowe both come off the bench and make huge impacts. And he's still, you know, again, I mean, I'm with you. I, I'll give him the the benefit of the doubt with the uh, the sending off. But, man, I, I just feel like we could be doing a lot more. in in poor Saka, man. I mean, he's just he's going to have another season where he logs, you know, 5,000 minutes. I think we're just going to have to accept that this is the manager we've got. He doesn't like making changes. He doesn't even like making changes to the first 11. Like, generally, if he wins one week, the team's the same the next week. You know, last even last night, the only change was enforced. You know, Timber yeah. out and Tommy in. I, I just think he just he's just a manager that doesn't like change, and and that's that's it. Arsene Wenger was very similar, and I, I think we're just you know as much as he he loves to he, you know he likes obviously he likes to buy players a lot more than Arsene Wenger did, but I I just he just doesn't like changes in the game, and we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to accept that. I think. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then that's why I said I, I kind of, you know, I almost hate talking about this at this point because, you know, not only are we beating a dead horse, but there's nothing we can really, you know, do about it. But it, it is frustrating, I think, from a from a fan's perspective to continue to see this. And, you know, I mean, he's getting the results now, which is great. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't make it really any easier, I think that we have this huge bloated squad. The fact that we're not going to be able to register like seven players, I think <laughs> as of right now. And <laughs> he only uses like 13 guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. So on that, um, we've had the Gabrielle rumors. We touched on it a little bit at the start with the, the Saudi stuff. I, I can't see this happening. I don't see us selling Gabriel. I certainly don't see us selling Gabriel right now. I mean, I don't know that there's even, an amount of money that you would sell him for. I mean, what, what would it, what would it take? I, I mean, I hope to God we don't sell him for 60 million or something like that because we'd never be able to replace him to me, unless you're talking about 200 million. I, I don't see how, like, even for a hundred million, I don't think I'd sell him right now. There's, there's what, 10 days left of the window. The fuck are you going to do? Yeah. And uh, you know, he's been such a stickler for like a left footed left center back. Uh, I can't see it. Um, and I would be I would be shocked if it happened. Uh, but I, I do have raised eyebrows about this one, uh, not necessarily the transfer, but just why he's been excluded from the starting lineup for two game weeks now. Yeah, and I think until the until basically it's over, and I believe the Saudi window for whatever their window's worth. I mean, I'm sure that their their government would just change the transfer window if they need to. But I think <laughs> that goes on for a couple of weeks after our one ends. But three weeks, three yeah, weeks, three yeah. Weeks. But we, I mean, obviously, you can't sell a defender and not replace him when we've already just lost Timber for the year. So it's, I, I just can't see this. I think it's, it's mad. Um, go on, you had something? Oh no, 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 no. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I think it's nonsense. I just do, like I said, I, I raise my eyebrow at it because it's weird that he's. I assume it's the absence of Zinchenko um that makes him want to play Ben White and Saliba together but uh it's still kind of odd to me but I don't think we're selling him no I guess we'll find out next week because you've got to imagine Zinchenko's back in next week yeah Um, another absolutely nutty rumor Pepe so (laughs) I I don't know where (laughs) this has come from but apparently there were crisis cleared air talks between Pepe and Arteta, and Arteta says to him, okay, if you're going to be a good boy, you can come back into the squad. Have you ever heard a bigger load of bollocks in your entire life? Mate, this is a load of garbage. I promise you, Pepe will probably never pull on an Arsenal shirt again. I can't believe this is like a, a real rumor. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit Arteta's system at all. He's not a good Saka replacement. This is this is trash, and I whoever made it up is dumb. All that's <laughs> happened here is we have brought him back into the training ground because he wasn't training with us until last week. Yeah. We've brought him back in to allow him to train with us until we can get rid of him. And there's going to be one of two ways that we're going to get rid of him. He's either going to go somewhere on a free, which he's the absolute preferred option for us. And I think we will keep banging that drum until the Saudi transfer window closes, right? Like like September 1st, when our transfer window closes, won't be the end of this. If he do, if he isn't gone to someone by then, we are going to absolutely keep him 
until the Saudi window closes. The day after the transfer window, Edu is going to hand him a big fat check and tell him to leave. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Uh, I can't see it happening any other way. Honestly, I think there's already been discussions about paying him off to cancel his salary. Yeah, we don't want to do it. And and that's fine. I understand yeah, we, why we yeah. don't want to do it. And I think, and nor should we want to do it. And I think we have to try and keep this open until the very end of the Saudi window, until the last possible minute. But it's going to happen. That is exactly what's going to happen. And the same thing is going to happen with Cedric, by the way. Oh, fuck. I forgot Cedric's still even here. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Um, do you think we will just end up giving him away or do you think we're going to have to pay him off? Uh, not Cedric, Pepe. I think we're going to have to pay both of them off. Fuck. I think yeah. we're going to have to pay both of them off. I don't, I don't think if Pepe won't go to one of the lower, like no one's going to pay him his wages on 140 grand a week. He turned down Besiktas and I don't blame him. I don't blame him. He's just watched, what, five players walk out the door with a big bag of cash to go away. So I don't blame him for not for not wanting to give that money up. But that's that's what's going to happen. So unless one of the Saudi clubs, and we're not going to get a fee even if it's a Saudi club, but if one of the Saudi clubs come in and will pay him the money, then maybe he goes on a free transfer. That is our best hope. After that, 140 grand a week. What's that? 5.2. So that's just just over 6 million a year. We're going to have to give him 4 million to fuck off. Yeah, I think you're probably right there. Yeah, but I mean, hopefully there's something to be done. I um I remain optimistic, even if I, you know, probably assume we're going to have to pay him off. Yeah, Cedric, we're definitely going to have to pay off. Absolutely. No question yeah. about it. The, the, again, the day after the Saudi window closes, because I'm guessing we're doing everything we can to shop him there as well. The day after that, he's going to be two and a half million quid richer and walking into somewhere like Fulham on a free transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. Um, did you see the uh, Brighton loan interest in Sambi Lakanga? Brighton think... loan? I thought it was a permanent thing, and we were looking no. for twenty million. It's a loan. A loan. That's what I saw. Um, I'm I'm all for that. I still think he's got some potential. Uh, he's, you know, spending a season at a club like Brighton with uh, you know, Deserby, who knows how much he could raise his value or even end up being a solid player for us right am i he's not going to be a solid player for us like he's just, he's just not you can forget that sambi has played his last game for us like it's just not going to happen the only way is if we can't get him out on loan and he, he plays a couple of league cup matches that's it sambi's never playing for us any meaningful minutes no he's got no more chance than pepe um but i'm still hopeful we can actually get a decent transfer fee for him, whether it is a permanent yeah. now where we can get our money back or whether it's he goes out on loan for a year, looks like a good Premier League player, and we get it turned permanent. You know, I think I honestly think he could do that. Um, he oh, I like do a- too. I think he is a good Premier League player. I don't yeah. think he's a good enough for us, but I do think he's a good Premier League player. I think he could be really good in like a, a double pivot for a team. Um, I don't think he's a lone six, and I don't think he's an eight. <laughs> um, but I think he could play in a pivot next to maybe a little more offensive or defensive player. Um, but I, I think the bright move would be would be great for him. Um, I respect Deserby. I think it's a, a good place to be. I think um, he'd fit in quite nicely there. And, uh, you know, I think he could really raise his transfer value, you know, another five, 10 million 
Yeah, I mean, even if we broke even at this point, it's better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely it is. And so out of everyone that's left that we obviously want to get rid of, right? So you've got you've got Cedric, you've got Tierney, you've got Holding, you've got Tavares, you've got Sambi, you've got Pepe, you've got Balogun, you've got who else am I forgetting? I think I might be forgetting another one. Did you say Cedric? Or I can't I remember. Think I, said, did I, say, I don't know if I did or not. But out of all, all those players, realistically, other than Balogun, do you see us getting a fee for any of them? Because I'm at the point where I don't. I don't think we get a fee for any of them. I think we might see five or six of them leave on loan. But I just, I'm, I've given up. I just don't think we're going to get a fee for any of them other than Balogun. Uh, I think you may be right. Um I could still see a small fee for holding come in. And when I say small, I mean, I'm talking like 4 million pounds or something like that. Um, even that might be high. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see a, a, like a, a flurry of loans, hopefully with some options or obligations to buy. And Balogun, I still see going for a price. I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah. even, I think, I think we, we'll get decent money for Balogun. I, I do. do I think we. Yeah. I think we'll get forty. We'll get forty or forty plus, which is more than I thought we would. We would get for him because I think people are yeah. going to be desperate, and he's the he's the best of the bunch for the strikers. So yep. I think we will. But the others, even Tavares, if to, to buy, I could I could see a fee for Tavares. I don't think so now. I just you don't don't think, so? think so. No, I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. so. I just don't see where he's where he's going to go. And I think if we get these loans with options to buy, I think everyone is going to be really really disappointed with the value of the option or the or the obligation to buy like for example and you know i i know i'm always harsh on him but i don't think we're getting 15 million for kieran Tierney. i just don't i think if we loan him with a with a with a um if we loan him with an obligation i think we're going to end up getting like 10 million for him rob holding i think if we get money for anyone i agree with you i think it, rob holding is probably the most likely that's going to end up being a million quid i just i don't think we're going to get anything like what we think is value for any of these players. I'm annoyed by it. It's not what I expected at the start. I'm shocked by it. Um, I'm shocked that no one wants to pay 25 million for Kieran Tierney. I, I, I thought we could get, I didn't think we'd get 30, 35 million for him, but I thought 25 million. I thought we could, we could get that off of somebody. I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, I think everybody's looking at us. They're looking at our squad. They see the blood in the water and they're just, they're willing to, they're willing to just wait it out. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, we, we've discussed this on this very pod uh, about how uh, a lot of our players are not going to be first, second, third choice for clubs, but they could be fourth, fifth, and we'll see teams coming in for them at the end of the window. I still think that's going to happen. But, yeah, I tend to agree with you. They're going to um, take the loan gamble. And I think the options are going to be pretty poor. I don't know how many of them we're actually going to sell. I am surprised about Kieran Tierney the most, I think. I figured, like you... Tierney, that... Tierney Tavares, and Holden are the ones that surprised me the most. I'm not surprised that it's tough to shift Sambi because of how much we paid for him. I'm yeah. not surprised that it's tough to shift Cedric because he's shit. I'm not surprised that it's tough to shift Pepe because of the amount of money that he's on. So yeah. them ones, I'm not. I'm not surprised about them. I am surprised that we haven't been able to move Tierney, Tavares, and Rob Holden. Yeah, I feel the same way. Let me ask you this, Gav. Uh, do you think 
because I'm sure the club feels like we do that they'd be able to have moved a, a couple more of these players. Do you see a surprise late outgoing? No. You don't think so? No. No, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think the players that we want to leave are the only players that are going to be going going out. I, I, I don't see it. I think we've built this squad. We've built this squad meticulously. It's been perfectly planned. And whatever you think about Arteta not wanting to use them, these are the players that he wants. The ones that we've mentioned are the ones that he doesn't want. It's not difficult to see players that Arteta doesn't rate, right? Like yeah. at, at this point, how many injuries would it take for Kieran Tierney to make the bench? Another four? Four. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. It just, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, Pepe, this is why the thing about Pepe is so laughable. There is no, we would go with eight subs before we put Nicolas Pepe on the bench. That, that's Arteta's way. It's his way. He's not going to do it. Sambi, he's not. You've seen these players training alone. Pepe wasn't even allowed back at the damn training ground. But you've seen these players training alone on their exercise bikes after the first team have gone home. The, Arsenal have made it very clear that these players need to go. The players that are involved, I don't think we're selling any of them. I would be stunned if Gabriel left. I would be stunned. I heard someone say Trossard's not going to be happy on the bench. I would be stunned. I did too, yeah. I would be stunned if we entertained offers for Leandro Trossard. There's, there's no way. None of these players, none of the, even Eddie, none of these players are going anywhere that are in our actual first team squad. Smith, bro. No, no, none of them. Are, none of them are going in. I'm telling you, none of them are going in. <laughs> unless you've got a stupid offer in the last bit for Smith Rowe. Let's say let's say Villa have just had a load of injuries, right? So Coutinho's done his ACL now as well. Oh, so that, really? I haven't seen that. Yeah, he did his ACL yeah. the weekend. So that's Coutinho wow. and Buendia gone with ACL injuries. Um, so maybe if Villa came and said, look, we'll give you 70 million for Smith Rowe, that's a different story. Um, and he's obviously, he's obviously probably the most peripheral of all the first team players, right? But I... I I really don't. I don't see that happening. So I don't see any of these players going. I don't know that that would really count as a surprise sale, would it? I mean, I think we're talking more the first sort of fourteen names. It, it would upset you. It wouldn't surprise you. I still think he. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's not. What what number we talked about this before? What number sub is he? So if you're looking at attacking subs, Trossardi's first off the bench, right? He'd be then my second today. sub off the bench, like What's every that? time. He'd be my second sub off the bench every yeah, time. Yeah, but he's not Arteta's. Arteta's second sub is Fabio Vieira, yeah. and he's third. But that's sub so is, weird, though. Right? Third sub is Reese Nelson. That's so, so weird. Yeah, but that's the way it is. ESR is not one of the first three game changers that he looks at on the bench. I agree with you that it's it's weird. But that is where that is where we're at. His first three game changes off the bench are Trossard, then Vieira, then Nelson. You can maybe switch Nelson and Vieira around sometimes, but those are the first three. And then he will look at Smith Rowe. You know, I respect Vieira as a player and see more in him than you do. And I still find it shocking that he's above Smith Rowe right now. But you know, it is well, especially when you consider that one has proven to be an impact player and one hasn't. Yeah. But Vieira is uh, an Arteta signing. And he's older too, isn't he? Smith Rowe. I think he's a year older. They've got to be pretty close. Are they 24 and 23? Maybe they've got to be pretty close. 22, I think. think. Yeah, I know they've got to be pretty close. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a, you know, Arteta spent the best part of 40 million quid on Vieira. So that's, I mean, I would guess that's why he's ahead of him in the pecking order as much as anything else. 
but that's it. So I don't know that I would consider Smith Rowe that much of a surprise departure. But even so, I can't see it. I think the squad that we've got now is the squad that we're going to go with. And those peripheral players, we are going to move heaven and earth to try and get them out of the club in any way, shape or form. So I would not be surprised if Nuno Tavares goes on loan to Aston Villa. Kieran Tierney goes on loan, fuck, even maybe back to Celtic. Um, I just, I would not be surprised to see holding Tierney, Tavares, Sambi all go on loan. Yeah, me neither. I wouldn't either. Yeah. And sell Balogun, right? I mean, that's all we got. Yeah, I think Balogun's going to go. I, I I do. I think this, I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see maybe not him go this week, but I think you're going to see it start to start to warm up this week with, with regards to Balogun. Um, the other ones I think you're probably going to see after the Fulham game. I think that's when the loan offers and stuff are going to come because it's the, the 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 deadline is the first, um, I believe it, 11 p.m. UK time, so 6 p.m. our time, um, and that will be next Friday. So I think that's when that Thursday and Friday are probably going to be when we see a lot of these players leave on loan. Yep. You're probably right. And don't forget, uh, by the way, not to change lanes too hard. Uh, we're, I know we're almost out of time. Um, we will have our Champions League draw as well, August 30th. Yeah, same day. So, uh, yeah, no, day, we'll before, to... day before, the Thursday. The yeah, Thursday. Thursday, yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. yep, so we'll definitely have to, we'll, we'll be on here again doing a pod, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll do a pod for that and we'll, we'll... We might even we might even wrap it up the day after with the uh, after the transfer deadline to wrap both up in one. I don't know. We'll figure yeah. out. Uh, yeah, we'll figure that probably makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out yeah. to work that one out. So, okay, mate. Well, thanks for coming on tonight, and um, I will see you towards the end of the week to look forward to the Fulham game. All right, mate. Sounds good. Have a good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.